will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bed. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Hello and welcome to episode 401 of Third on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How are you going there, mate? I'm going really well, Andrew, the real deal, Ferguson. How are you? Um, I'm reeling and dealing. Oh, really? Yeah. And dealing. How's that been going? Yeah, no, all, all's going well. Um, nice. Slowly starting to watch more and more footy every week. Mm-hmm. It is I've been watching like bits and pieces of games, but now I'm starting to watch actual whole games, so it's it's uh, getting good. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been some good games lately. Very unpredictable. Um, if you're an expert in the game, your tipping must be really bad, and if you don't know anything about the game, your tipping must be really good. Julie. Um, yeah, look, I can't argue with any of that. <laughs> that. That would explain why I'm always at the bottom of tipping list because I'm an expert. Exactly, exactly. Who wants to win a tipping competition anyway? Yeah, I mean, it's all just fluke anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I don't like anyone that wins a tipping comp. Well, oh, that, yeah, that means I'm always going to be liked. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, there's been uh, some interesting things happening in rugby league over the last week or so. Yes, and there was also something rather stupid that happened in rugby league media in the last week or so. Yeah, fucking crazy. Um, should we talk about the Nathan Brown situation first? I think we need to address that first and foremost because we are a rugby league podcast. We should do the rugby league stuff. Yeah, we can talk about rugby league. Um, it, it, they lost on the weekend to a team that had 12 players for, what was it, three quarters of the match? Bit over 53, that. 53 minutes, and they were down to 11 players for 10 minutes. And when they were down to 11, the Warriors did not score a single point. That's crazy. And, and I know that we've talked about you've got to give the Warriors a bit of a pass because of their situation. But at some point, like, what are we doing here? You know, Nathan Nathan Brown has been in charge of some of the worst losses in Australian rugby league first grade history. And at some point, it's not unlucky. No, look, I was was willing to give him a pass at the Knights because he got handed an absolute fucking septic tank. Yes. Right, and that thing needed to be... A, cleaned out and then rebuilt and then built up to a point where someone could actually do something with it. And it probably took a year longer than it needed to, mm-hmm. but he got them in that position where they were starting to be, you know, back to being a competitive outfit again. He was never going to be the coach that would take them to the next level, but at least he was able to get in there, sort out their salary cap, sort out their roster, clean things up and get things moving in the correct direction, not wherever the fuck that was going before. Um, but that wasn't so much the issue at the Warriors. They had a pretty decent core squad. The issue they've always had is getting them to be consistent. So he was always going to be a bit of a, uh, you know, are, you, are we sure we've got the right guy here? As I've said in previous episodes, I've, I've got zero um, 
confidence in what he's able to get a team to do on the field. Off the field, um, he's passable, but on the field stuff, playmaking, you know, running plays, organising the team, getting the team pumped up for a game, um, that basic sort of coach stuff. Um, I have zero faith in him in being able to do any of that. He's on Trent Barrett level for on the field stuff. Now, I got a question for you. Who do you, what team do you think talent wise was worse? His Knights team at its worst, or Dean Pay's Bulldogs at their worst? Mm. I mean, it's it's probably cool. probably Pay's side to be honest. Because not only did he not only did he have a bunch of young blokes there, but the experienced players he did have were either overpaid, overrated, or injured too much. Yes. So he wasn't getting any decent value out of any of them. Yes. Um, the Knights had plenty of decent, you know, decent enough young talent around. Because um, he had the Safidi twins there. Um he didn't have a huge amount. Uh, Dave Gagai was at the club, and he was playing pretty well in those, you know, those years they were not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, it wasn't all bad. I'm pretty sure he had a few other players as well. I can't remember who was in the side, but it, it wasn't a an atrocious roster. But I'm not saying it was great either. No, it was terrible. It was terrible. Pay, Pay has always had that ability to get his team at least um, – Having a bit of starch in defence. Yeah, and like you remember towards the end with Dean Pay, they weren't an easy beat. Like they no. would beat, but you had to beat that Bulldogs team. And how many how many of the teams that Nathan Brown has had since he come back from England, do you really are you like, yeah, we gotta beat these guys. We've got to be up for this game. Like none. That's the thing. He keeps giving himself these really tough jobs to do. And I think because, you know, after he left the Knights, they got into the finals, he sort of looks back on that and goes, well, and to a certain degree, he's right to think that, you know, a lot of that success because a lot of the work I did. To some degree, that's fair enough because he did oversee quite a massive cleanup there. Um, But we're seeing now that while he deserves a bit of credit for the Knights becoming better, mm-hmm. don't give him too much because <sighs> look what Todd Payton did with the Warriors during COVID in as an interim coach. <clears throat> and look at what he he's done. He had them playing much more spirited. Yeah, and yeah, look what he's done at the Cowboys. Yeah, and you um, think, like Todd Payton, what is he fucking the deal? And he has proven many times over within 12 months. Um and and the the thing is too with Nathan Brown, like you look at he, his name as a coach is next to some of the worst losses in Australian rugby league history. And on top of that, like when your big selling point is, well, you know, when I leave, the team gets better. <laughs> it's it's not really good for a coach. Honestly, it, it's very much a a Brian Smith type thing, and you don't get too many coaches who want to be Brian Smith. No, but at least Brian Smith. I mean, Brian Smith at Parramatta, he put together an absolute machine that, like, fell at the last hurt. Like, if that team had have won, we would talk about that as one of the best teams we've ever seen in our lifetime anyway, because it was a machine. 
Unfortunately, Jason Taylor was the halfback. That was, <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. Like it, did, though. it really did. You look at the, you look at when he had good teams. Brian Smith, unfortunately, he had veteran halves that just just weren't that level of the play that we're playing against. No. So I can give him a pass. Oh, Brian Smith definitely gets a pass. Yeah, but um, Nathan Brown, crap. Absolute crap. Like, if, if you were the Warriors, when do you sack him? Or do you not sack him? I'd, I'd say to him, look, tell us who you want or who you think we should have in this side or whether there's any players you think we shouldn't have in this side. And once he gives you that feedback, then you sack him and get the next coach in and ask him the same question and see if they agree. And anyone they agree on, get rid of them. Because if a good coach and a shit coach can identify a shit player, then get rid of that player. Yeah. You know? Because if you're that bad that a bad coach and a good coach can both spot you, you know, be gone. That You don't want them around. I think there's um, also of, of, like, the players that he has brought to the Warriors and... This, like, I know that there are Warriors fans that don't like the type of people he's bringing to the club. And let's be honest, he's brought them there because he probably was able to get them on the cheap. Yes. Um, I will say this. Adam Fanua Blake has played very good football since joining the Warriors, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew Lodge, though, um, atrocious. Yeah. But he runs the ball hard, which, A, that's good, and that's pretty much you know, 70% of your job as a front rower. But the stupid, dumb fuckery that he does, like going into a hit-up and lifting his arm up, fair enough, a lot of players will put their arm up to protect themselves as they're, you know, bracing for the collision. But he will always put his forearm up and lift his elbow. So he's not going to hit the bloke who's directly in front of him. He's going to hit the bloke who's coming in from the angle. He's going to hit them with the elbow, and he's going to force that defender, if they see it early enough, to go low. And when you're running at full pace and you're, you know, 110 kilo forward, it's easy to bump off a bloke who's standing still and crouching down low. You're just going to plough through him. Yeah. And I think that's probably his intention, is to cop that elbow, make them go low, because then you'll push them out of the way, and you can push through. Um, it's it's cheap. Um, it's also... Very grubby, not surprising from him. Um, the other stuff he does too, his discipline has really fallen off bad, and that's that's a that's a worry given that's never been good. Yeah, it gives uh, away really dumb penalties at times, and they they just shouldn't be giving penalties away. This team needs the ball in the hand as much as possible to minimise the opposition running away with games like they did, and he just gives away stupid penalties too often. Um, the other problem too. Sean Johnson has been atrocious this year. Yeah, he's Sean Johnson's done, and that's all right. Like, good career, really good career, uh, and it's it, he he might be, even be able to go over to Super League, play for another five, six, seven, eight years. But as an NRL player, he's it's it's over, and it's pretty clear uh, he's had injuries that he's had to contend with. He's had a very mixed career in terms of where he's been playing over the last few years. And I think that bringing him to the club, it seemed, it it felt like, remember when the the uh, Broncos brought back Wayne Bennett 
Mm. And he sort of thought, well, hang on a second, you got rid of this guy because you didn't think he was the, the person for you. And then a couple of years later, when they're older, you bring them back. It, 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 like, I'm not surprised it didn't work out. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is with Johnson. He's, he's very hesitant about running the ball at the moment, which is, is any half knows. Um, if you're not running the ball, you're not threatening anyone. Yeah. Um, some of his kicks are just, they're not threatening. Uh, it's, it's really weird. I don't know why they're persevering with him, to be honest. Um, Reese Walsh is starting to look an awful lot like Kalen Ponga. And in that, that he seems to be the only attacking spark in that side. He's popping up everywhere trying to ignite something, but he's just got a bunch of players who just lack interest more than anything else. They just lack interest. I'm not calling them shit or plotters because they've all shown they can play at this level. Yeah. You know, more than once. They just don't have any interest. And I think the fact they don't have interest comes from that. That's a direct result of the coach not being able to get them up for games. Um, fuck, look. Look at what the West Tigers have been doing for a decade and a half. Yeah. And Michael Maguire's finally started to get the, the team that he wants. And he's starting to get them to show a bit of unity and cohesion in defense. So it shows that. If a club is willing to persist with the right coach, the results and the performances will eventually come. But you've got to have the right coach. Yeah. And Nathan Brown was never going to be the right coach for this job. No, it always felt like a, a bad decision on their behalf, and and one that like yeah, I I think that if you're getting a if you've got the opportunity to give your first grade head coaching role to somebody and your idea is that you're going to give it to this certain person so that he can sort your club out for the next coach, that's the wrong choice, you know? And, I mean, keep in mind, they did it with the idea that uh, Phil Gould was going to oversee the whole thing, which, you know... That went well. That, yeah, like he was going to do it by email, I guess. And um, it, was, it was there for what? About the amount of time it takes to cook a pie in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. And a four he ding and went, oh, that's my job done. See you, fellas. Yeah. And so I, I just think that it's bad decisions. And look, if I was the Warriors, the the very first thing I would look at is junior development. Um, now, I know that they've claimed they've done that. But where are these juniors? I know that yeah, it's a, a problem with uh, COVID and travel and things like that. That's an issue. But, you know, when was the last time the Warriors had a young player that kind of looked at and said, oh, look at this dude. He's he's something here, you know. Probably Sean Johnson. It might be, yeah. Um, but, yeah. yeah. I think, look, I, I just think that Nathan Brown was the wrong choice, and I think he's proven that again. And it's probably his last stop as a first-grade coach, unfortunately for him. But I'll say you know, this. Warriors I need think to make the... So I was going to say, um, I, I made a tweet and I said that I think that the Warriors performed better in their loss to Melbourne two weeks ago where they had 70 points put on them than what they did against the Sharks. I've not seen, I mean, we almost remember, I, I've always followed the West Tigers, but I have not seen 
such an insipid performance from a team like I did on the weekend. That Cronulla team didn't just lose any player. They lost their fullback. Yeah. Their star halfback then had to move from halfback to fullback. Yeah. Then they lost a centre. So they were down two backs. Yeah. They couldn't get around them. The Warriors could not get around them to score. They could not go through them. They couldn't expose the fact that their halfback was playing at fullback. I know Hines played a lot of fullback at the Storm last year. He's not trained there at all this year. You'd expect him to be, you know, maybe caught out once or twice in defence, especially when he's only got, you know, 11 or 12, or, sorry, 11 or sometimes 10 players around him to help out. Yeah. You know, he wasn't going to get two wingers dropping back every time. So and Look, on and on top of that, not exactly the most experienced player in the world either. Like he's, no. he's just starting his first grade career, really. But the fact that the the sharks were down one man for an hour, two men for ten minutes, um, and I don't think the Warriors made it to a thousand meters gained. How were they not able to make more post contact meters? How are they not able to get second phase play going? Mm. They've got the most dullest inept attack I've seen in a long time. It does not look like it's going to threaten anyone. No. It, it's ter- It's a terrible situation that they're in. woeful. Yeah. And they are woeful. They're going to be able to, I think it, they said that they were going to be able to play back home uh, a bit later this year, which will be good. But, you know, that's not going to be the thing. That's not going to be a magic wand. You know, if, not, I, if I were the Warriors, I'd say, you know what? We're not going to come back home until we've got our club fucking sorted out because you fans deserve better than what we're dishing up at the moment. <laughs> Imagine waiting two and a half years for your team to come back and they're playing like this. Yeah. Who's going to want to go watch that? Fuck that. <laughs> it's, um, you know, I, like I've had my club in, in this sort of dire situation, so I know what it's like, and it's horrible. Like to turn on the footy, and to be like, best case scenario, we don't get whipped. It yeah. sucks, you know. At least with Penrith, there was always that light of the, at the end of the tunnel of like, well, maybe th- this week there'll be a junior in there that'll turn into a friggin' test player, you know. Um, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But at least you could look to that. What does the Warriors fan look forward to at the moment? Like, Thanks the second you. of Nathan Brown, that's it. Yeah. Home games. Yeah, they're not, even, they're not even looking at results anymore. Yeah, just be, just be able to see it with their own two eyes as their team gets flogged. Yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I feel so sorry for Warriors fans. So now I've got to ask. Yes. Matthew Elliott or Nathan Brown? Who's worse? Honestly, Andrew. Nathan Brown. Nathan Brown. Nathan Brown record. Nathan Brown's record is impeccably bad, right? Now, so is Matthew Elliott's. But, that, like, has Matthew, Matthew Elliott had some some teams that were very good that did not perform well, a lot mm-hmm. of them, actually. And he had hey. some very good teams that underperformed and made the top eight. Like... I think you look at the total number of seasons that Nathan Brown has had absolute no hope, not going anywhere teams. I think it would outrank the number of seasons like that from a Matthew Elliott coach and 
career. Well, let's just look and at I don't one, say that lightly. Let's just look at one basic stat here. Since he returned from England, yes, he's coached 127 games, mm-hmm. 36 wins, one draw, 90 losses. That's 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 like that's hard. That's hard that's, to be that bad. That's catastrophically bad. Yeah. Uh, so the next question is Trent Barrett or Nathan Brown? Um, yeah. Or, or is it, would it be easy to go Trent Barrett versus Matthew Elliott? I'd, I'd take Matthew Elliott over Trent Barrett. So there you go. So this plan to do an episode of you hating on Matthew Elliott might have to go away because we've now found two coaches worth standing. Isn't that fucking crazy, though? i tell you what, I'd be throwing in Jason Taylor as well. I would take Jason Taylor over Matthew Elliott. Oh. Yeah. I, no, I think because that... Jason Taylor would come in there and he'd say, right, we've got to get rid of Nathan Cleary because he costs too much. <laughs> we need to get we need to get Kieran Foran over to replace him. Yeah. I know he's got a he's got like both his knees completely shattered in 37 places and he can't play for five years, but let's get him over on $800,000 a year because it'll be cheaper than Cleary. Matthew Elliott brought Matt Adamson <laughs> back. All right. Okay. I'll take four and over Matt Adamson. Give it. Nah. You would, you're not going to take an injured four and who doesn't play over Nathan Cleary. I would take, okay. Okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> four and, wheelchairs his way into the office and says, I'll be ready next year. Don't worry. I know it's my ACL, my MCL, and I also somehow tore my Achilles, but I'll be ready. Matt Anderson's like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm, I'm like, here you go, Kieran. You sign here, son. He's a blank check. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm, not, I, I'm not the Bulldogs, okay? <laughs> Just keep it under $10 million a year, okay? We've, we've got to juggle you into the salary cap. Pump the brakes there, Raylene. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, it's it's pretty dire there for for Nathan Brown. I and look, See, for some okay, reason, seriously, seriously though, let's do this. Nathan Brown versus Trent Barrett. Okay, Nathan Brown is more experienced as a coach. Yeah, look, I'm I'm going to say this. Okay, and this is where we're probably going to find a bit of a. An odd one. I suppose you've already done one hot take. Yeah. Um, I'd say Nathan Brown is marginally better than Trent Barrett because I've seen nothing from Trent Barrett to suggest that he knows anything at all, at all, not even by fluke, about coaching. And I think Nathan Brown might almost know one thing about coaching. I, I think that Nathan Brown also has a touch of drama about him, though. He probably he's... does, but... You need a little bit of drama in your coach. Yeah, but you don't need that sort of drama. There's drama and then there's there's the sort of feel good sort of drama, you know. There's where it's like something's going do on. Do you think do you think there's a chance that just once Nathan Brown might be able to get you to fire up, be it positively or negatively? And then do you think there's ever a chance that Trent Barrett could ever get you fired up about anything? That's, That's the thing. Good. I reckon Nathan Brown can get you pumped once. Didn't he get for whatever just, reason? It could be good or bad. It could be opposing. It could be anything. But he at least gets some. He'll get some emotion out of you. But Trent Barrett, he'll just sit there and go, "All right, guys, let's go out and win." 
You're like, thanks, Trent. Fucking insight, mate. I feel like you, if you would be in the Nathan Brown team and you could not like him to the point where you went out and played hard, whereas with Trent Barrett, I feel like it would you'd be struggling to stay awake. Yes. <laughs> Those guys, they, they play for the Cowboys, and uh, sorry, for the Bulldogs. They, they don't... Some, there's going to come a point where they're not going to give a fuck if they stuff up because they know that when they get in the shed at halftime, T-Baz is going to be in there and going, oh, guys, we, we've got to play better. Is that it? Yeah, yeah mate. That, that's sort of written down in a notebook. we just got to play better. Thanks, Trent. <laughs> yeah, it's so let's, let's all drink beer at halftime. What the fuck? Why not? Yeah. Wheel in the poker machines while we're at it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I also feel as though you you could talk to Nathan Brown and feel like someone was there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Imagine that. You sit there, you talk at it for a while at the Bulldogs, and you go, Oh shit, that's just a chair. Where's yeah. <laughs> I swear he was sitting in it before. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah, I just went to get a cup of water like five hours ago. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. It's difficult because they're both so bad, but I will choose Nathan Brown over Trent Barrett. Yeah, I'm talking by the absolute slimmest of margins. Oh, so close. And you know what it, it you know you know what it is? It's it's that it's that someone's there. Yeah. <laughs> they're not good, but they're there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna go on, oh yeah, he he said words and nodded occasionally. Yeah. Like I feel like you could have a conversation with Nathan Brown, even if it's not to do with footy, I feel like you could talk to him about something. What did what the fuck can you have a conversation with Trent Barrett? No. You see when the when the Bulldogs are getting beaten, they should go up to Trent, Trent Barrett. He's just staring into space. <laughs> like, the fuck are you looking at? He's just staring. He feels like one of those algorithms, you know, that that chats to you, then that, that Microsoft did and that, and then they had to yes. shut it down because the internet taught it to be racist. I feel like he's a really early version of that where he just gives you responses, but you know that there's nothing there giving you a response. It's yeah. just like code. It's just automated. Yeah. <laughs> he just stares. It's just like, that's a nice day today. And he says, yeah, it's a nice day. And then you go, sun's up. And he goes, yeah, it's a nice day. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Might rain later on. Yeah, it's a nice day. <laughs> just time and time again. Yeah, it's a nice day. That fucking eyeliner is on point. That is that is a point. It's a good thing he's not at the Warriors because there'd be a clash between him and Walsh and we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Um but on the flip side, I think um it's easy to talk about how shit the Warriors were on the weekend, but um, I think I think a lot of credit also needs to go to the Sharks for playing the way they did, mm-hmm. not only to win that game, but to keep putting points on um, and winning by such a comfortable margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was absurd. Yeah, really, really good effort. 
really good effort. I saw somebody on Twitter say, like, they should sell that game as a DVD release at the Sharks Club because that's a, that's a bloody good win. That's one of those wins you say, yeah. when they did this. Especially that second half. Because, mm. uh, you know, they came out of the sheds looking determined and they were defending for each other. Um, like, that was quite literally, that was very Penrith Panthers-like defence where they scrambled everywhere and that was made sure that there was one person, you know, the person making the initial contact, their job wasn't to hold them like they normally is. It's The job was to wrap up the ball. And so you even saw Moylan. He would... Obviously, Moylan's not a great defender, mm-hmm. but he's he's smart enough to know how to get a player to the ground or how to how to slow down to play the ball, and that is essentially pull them down on top of you. Yeah. Like when you're a small half, and he did this with a lot of the the bigger Warriors players. He'd wrap wrap them up around the around the arms, and then he'd just fall backwards and let them fall on top of him. Yeah. It's not a hip drop because he's the one taking the bloody fall, but he's doing he's done a, you know variations of that over most of his career, and it's been you know, largely reasonably effective. But a good forward is able to get out of that very easily or get a ball away. All you got to do is just get side on. You know, you can't lock the ball up if you've got the ball behind you. Um, but the Warriors players were just too dumb to realise that and they just kept running face forward into him thinking they could run over him. And all he did is just kept pulling down top of him. And he was making one-on-one tackles on the edge with these big forwards running at him and shutting down clear overlaps just through the Warriors being dumb. Yeah, they're um, a really dumb football team. I don't know how you become that dumb of a football team when you're all first-grade players. It's kind of shocking. That's the thing. They're not they're not shit players. You could put any one of those players in a, in a top-five team, and they'd all stand out. I mean, I think um, uh, Papali, who's at, the, at Parramatta, was at the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Took a while to start to shine there, but he went from there, went to Parramatta and just stood out immediately. He went, yeah, you put him in a good outfit with some structure and, and a clear goal, you know, what they've got to do. And boom, just watch think, him go. I think when Reese Walsh moves on, he's going to be at, at like absolutely amazing. I think that he's really hampered by his teammates. And, you know, it's not like you watch Reese Walsh and you say, like, oh, man, it's it's all starting to rub off on him now. And you think of, like, the situation this young bloke's been put in. He comes to the club and their million-dollar fullback says, you know what, I'll play wing for the rest of the year. He can do the fullback role. And it's like, wow, that's so benevol- benevolent of you, you know. Yeah. And that's how it was framed. And he so he was being thrown in at the deep end on a terrible team. His performances are so far above his much more experienced teammates. Like, he's their best player, and it's not yeah. even close. And he's going to leave because he wants to stay in Australia. Um, and, and then what do they build around? That's, that's the thing. What do they build around? Um, yeah, they've really got no long-term goal. Like, they're getting these, this young bloke from uh, the Sydney Roosters, I believe. And they're getting a couple of plays from the Sydney Roosters, but when do they bring in some Kiwis? Yeah, and it's not like there's a shortage of the of not just New Zealand players but Pacific Island players. 
We've all got them throughout all of our teams. Except there's the tons of them, and they're all fucking right. brilliant. Yeah, they're all brilliant, and yet none of them end up at the Warriors. So weird. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know what what they do, but they they need a drastic change. They need a premiership winning coach. Um, and they need a clean slate. They've got to do a lot of work on that roster. Um, the forwards that they've got are reasonably good. They've overcapitalized in the halves. Too many halves there, and they're not playing any of them nearly enough. Um, Egan's not too bad at lock. I uh, sorry at hooker, but I think they need someone who's a bit sharper and a bit nippier. Yeah, Egan is a is exactly what he was at Penrith. He's a, he's yeah. a backup. Yeah, he's he's a he's a toiler. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not he's not yeah typical sort of game winner. You know the the perfect sort of hookers for the Warriors would be a Jaden Braley type player. Yeah, he's got that playmaking ability. He's genuine leader, young, and he's got a reliable sort of kicking game on him. Good defender. And a good talker on the field, so he gives a good good amount of direction for the forwards. Um, yeah, because that's what, that's probably the thing they're lacking the most at the moment is genuine direction. They've got good talkers, but there just seems to be no direction, no um, structure to what they're doing. A lot of it is guesswork. That comes from yeah. the coach. Yeah. Um, but a, a genuine coach who knows what he's doing and at least one person in the spine, either the halfback or the hooker, who can lead the team around the field. Those are the two things they need more than anything else. That could be enough to see them go from being the shit show they are at the moment to being a team that pushes for the top eight. Because I don't think there's too much they need to do to work on that roster. The biggest but issue is the coach. If if you got a, an all right coach in there, not even a top-class coach, but just an all right coach... They should go better than they're going right now. And that's the big thing about Nathan Brown. Like, you know, and it's the same thing with the Bulldogs. You know that that would go better if the coach had some ability. And unfortunately, in the National Rugby League, we see a lot of teams that have had that problem where you just know the coach is is an issue. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, man, to have a situation like they've got, the Warriors, it's it's wholesale changes, and that's a lot. They're going to have to go home and just make some big changes over time, and maybe that's what they're waiting for. Get home, get everyone settled back in, get a routine going, and then you start to work again. Maybe that's what they're aiming for. I don't know. Yeah, I think what they need to start doing is stop pissing up a wall and actually start doing something. Yeah. They've been underperforming for too long. Yeah, and um, you can't just you can't just say, well, this is an issue that we've got here. We're away from home, and so we're just, you know, we're passing on this season, and we're passing on the next season. And you can't do that. That's no, how you undermine your entire football club. That's right. They they need to start with a coach, a proper, solid, reliable coach. Now, can can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Panthers versus Parramatta. Did you watch the yeah. game? I I saw most of it. Yeah. What did I you? Thought think? Penrith were, I thought Penrith were a little bit flat, to be honest. 
I've, I felt so too. I tell you, I went to the game. Nadine invited me to the game. Lovely Nadine. Thank you, Nadine. I met her and her, I met her there and her husband. I met her husband for the first time. He's a cool dude. Um, and a couple of observations I had out of the Penrith game. Number one, I've never seen a team hit for 80 minutes like Penrith. It is insane when you see it in real life. Like, they they bashed the hell out of Parramatta, and full credit to Parramatta for still winning the game. Um, the first half, I thought, was refereed extremely poorly. There were some really weird decisions. There were some... The 10 metres was atrocious. Uh, and then the second half, it was a, a lot better. But I think a lot of damage was done in that first half. And the other thing is, and I agree with you, Penrith were flat. I think their attack still needs more. They need more out of attack. And I think Luai, not in defence because he's a good defender, but I think in attack, it's now time to ask questions. And I love him. He's from Mount Druitt. He's, He's one of us, you know. But I think it's time to question his involvement in our flat attack because he's a little bit predictable and we need to be getting more out of him. And if he's got it in him, great. He needs to show it. But at the moment, it's not enough. Yeah, I've Luai's always frustrated me because I watch him play and I see glimpses of why he played Origin. Mm-hmm. And I see also glimpses of how the fuck did he get picked to play Origin? Yeah. And I can't believe that the same bloke can have, you know, can, can make you feel that way about him every single game he plays because he does this every single game. You're watching, it's kind of like watching an, an entire Mitch Moses season <laughs> every game because he'll run the ball and threaten the line and be an absolute fucking just, you know, wrecking opposition teams and they can't touch him. And then be like half time comes and he comes back out and he's just sideways as fuck and he's doing nothing. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I can't, I can't figure out how he works in this unit and how they've managed to be successful with him there because he seems to be a bit of a loose cannon type thing in this rather well oiled machine. And just because it's a machine and, you know, it functions very, very methodically doesn't mean that it's got, um, you know, everything is boring and structured and does the same thing every time. They do play an awful lot of off-the-cuff footy, mm. but the the structure and how they set up their set is usually very similar, except for when Luai gets the ball. And it's almost like he's kind of guessing more than instinct when he gets the ball as to what he should do, which is a little bit Jack Whitenish. Yes, I, I agree um, completely. So I I don't know how you fix it because I think because when he's playing well, you want that in your side because he's untouchable. It's like watching Jerome Hughes play. Um, but when he gets a bit sideways, you look at him going, "Don't, please don't." Like, what are you doing? And there's um, a, there's an element to it too of like, Cleary will get the ball to him, and you're like okay, we just took a big step down immediate, mm. you know, and and he he does. He runs sideways, and I look like he's a decent-sized dude. He's a strong dude as well. 
I would say to him, like, think of yourself as a ball runner first and don't worry about the pass. If the pass is there, you'll end up passing it at the right time. But if clear is getting you the ball, just run onto it hard and challenge your defender in front of you because he's not challenging his defender in front of him. He's he's, he's basically asking the defense to drive him towards the sideline because that's where he's running to. Yeah, he's he's running good plays out of the ball because he often plays out on that left side. Yeah. Um, so he's either pushing Tuo out of space or he's running past um, Kikau and not giving him an opportunity either. I mean, when you've got those two massive ball-running powerhouse out there, fucking use them. <laughs> yeah. But I think the best way to fix Luai with his running game, you get one of those large, like, Six foot or six foot five sort of wooden frames that you sometimes find around a mirror. You get one of those, just the frame. You don't need anything else in there. And then get a, a life size cardboard cutout of Kickow and just put a picture of Luai's face over Kickow's and stand up inside the frame and say, Jerome, come here. Why don't you just look at my mirror for me for a sec? See if you can find any sort of specks of dirt on there. I can't quite see any. When he looks in there and go, fuck man, you're huge. You go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am, eh? Where are you, 6'5"? 110 kilos? Fuck, man. If you ran the, ran through the line, you'd destroy human beings. Just do that. Just walk away leaving with it. <laughs> you know, it, he, and the, there's an element. I know when I, I'm, at, I'm at the game on the weekend, and there's still an element of this Panther side that you've got to remember that they're all so young and they're still learning. Like you sort of look at them, and they've they've won eight what eight straight games. They've got all of these records that have been written up about in the newspaper and stuff. And it's really easy to forget that they're they're a super young team, and yeah. they're still learning how to be seasoned first graders. A lot of them. No, that's true. Um, and obviously, being successful at a young age, it also means too that. They stopped being this team that people aren't really paying much attention to. They're now the premiers. Everyone's now studying them a lot more closely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's even more imperative now that they don't go, like the halves, don't go sideways. Cleary's never done it, but Luai will often do it a little bit too much. And because of the way he parks himself on that left side with those big, powerful runners out there, um, it's really detrimental to the team. If, if he wants to go sideways, doesn't know what to do. Give it to fucking kick out. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not going to take the line on, give it to a bloke who can, will, and destroy opposition defences and create an opportunity for second-phase play. Because if he creates a bit of second-phase play, Luai automatically becomes a weapon. He's really good in that broken field running stuff. Um, but when the line's set and it's moving with him, and they'll let him run. That's the thing. Defences have figured out that if, if Luai's not going to take on the line, don't rush up on him. Mm-hmm. Just let him keep running because he'll eventually run to the sideline and you'll be able to shut everything down. Yeah. Possibly even get a turnover. Um, so you'll see very, very rarely will anyone rush up and try and take, you know, tackle Luai when he's running sideways. They'll just let him go as far as he can go because he will go to the sideline and run himself out of play. And I'll do it time and time again. And you'd think yeah. by now that he'd be smart enough to see that. That's not a coaching thing. That's something he needs to learn because he's doing it too often. And every team lets him run when he's doing that. 
way to let anyone go sideways. He needs to, there needs to be for him. It's a little bit like what we talked about with Kickow last year that it can't all be running wide. That at some point it has to be running up the guts of the field. And like you think of Luai, how many times do you think of him going straight up the middle of the field? You know, and I know he's five eight. He's going to be playing a little bit wider, but you know that he needs to add those wrinkles to his game so that yeah. he is a, a overall attacking player, not just a link up between Cleary and the outside backs. Because eventually Cleary is going to get to a point where he's going to be able to nail those outside backs without having to go to Luai. Yeah. And, if, and when it gets to that point, what do you want Luai to be? You want him to be a hole runner. You want him to be a ball runner. And but you, you, know, you want him to be Cody Walker. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it, it's something they need to learn because... Yeah. It's the next step for them as a club, and you know there's there's a lot of very good things they've got going there, obviously, but there is an element of that part of their attack that is still pedestrian, and it's not that they don't have the skill because as you say, like when the Panthers turn to that, okay, we need points, let's throw the ball around it. They remind me of the Knights of the early two thousands, where all of a sudden you're seeing flick passes and. You know, shit just fucking looks like the Harlem Globetrotters all of a sudden. Um, so they've got that in them, but yeah. they're still there. They're still there's a, a lack of something in their attack that they've got to sort out, and that's why losses like they had on the weekend, I I don't I don't crumble and cry about them because it's it's a learning experience. Oh, there's no doubt about it. The other thing that got me too about that game was. Um... Their defence wasn't as strong as it usually is. Yeah. That's I think the second that, time this year they've conceded 20 or more points in a game. Yeah, Parramatta did a very good job at attacking their youngsters out wide. I think that's one thing. The other thing was, for the first half, uh, they got a lot of penalties when they were getting out of danger. They were in danger zone, Parramatta. So they had a lot of very good field position in that first half. And that so that definitely helped them as well. But um, it's you know that you don't very often see that Panthers side have a defensive performance like that. And it wasn't that they weren't hitting hard; they were hitting like trucks through the entire match. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was just one of those games. You're going to have them. Like you don't, no team goes through undefeated, even the Storm. Sometimes you just have one of them games where they just don't turn up how they you expect them to, you know? Yeah. I think to be honest too, it's probably a it's gonna sound weird. It's probably a good thing that they lost the week before they played Melbourne. Yeah. Even Melbourne's been just absolutely annihilating everything in front of it. Mm-hmm. If they were to come up against the Penrith side that is still undefeated you'd expect one of the two sides to have a weakness or to be a little bit too confident. Yeah. And get exploited. Yeah. I think Penrith coming in with a loss, it's going to make Melbourne go, okay, we're going to expect them to be, you know, they're going to be up for this game. They're going to lift to another gear. And we've not really been pushed for a few weeks now. What have we got to do to match them? And what's what are, what are the Panthers out on a next year supposed to look like? Because we can't go off what last week was. Yeah. And um, there's also an element in there of like, Look, if you lose these games, you lose these games. 
Like, yeah. that's why we play football games. I, I, this idea that any team deserves anything is absolutely ridiculous. And that's why going into last week's game, and we talked about it, we were like, look, the Panthers should win. They might come out and really put it to the Eels, but if the Eels can turn it around, it's an amazing effort for the week they had. And they did, and it was an amazing effort. But if the Panthers lose back-to-back games, they lost back-to-back games. Like, it's it's the reality of the situation, and they would have to analyse those performances and, and learn from them and, and see what you can do better. And yeah. That's what all of these teams have got to be doing at the top because I, I think that, you know, Parramatta's a bit of a wild card. They've beaten the Storm. They've beaten Par- uh, the Panthers. It, they've also like, lost to the, the Tigers. Yeah. like They struggled it, to beat the Titans. It makes twice. no sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in that rather erratic phase where mm. their performances don't match the quality of the squad. Like the the squad should be doing a lot more um, better performance than what they currently are, mm. but because they're performing so much better against the top sides where they're probably expected to lose, it makes them hard for any team to gauge where the fuck they're at. Yeah. So they they've become a bit of a uh, tricky sort of an anomaly that that Parramatta side at the moment. And and it you know even for Parramatta themselves it's like. Look, none of this matters if you lose the finals in the finals against these teams. Yeah. Uh, because coulda, shoulda, woulda doesn't win your shit. And and Parramatta fans know that. Um, and it's the same thing for the Panthers. It's the same thing for the Storm. Don't You don't think that the Storm don't fucking burn, that they won a grand final against the Panthers and then the next year the Panthers beat them in that, that semi-final match? Like... Mm. You, you got to get it done, and if you don't get it done, you don't win. And you know that's the thing about rugby league at the moment, especially if you look at rugby league fans on Twitter. There's these expectations of like, like, well, what I think is going to happen should happen, and if it doesn't happen, well, then the fucking sky's falling. And it's like, no, we we play football games for a reason, and you know you you get nothing handed to you, nothing at all. So. I love it. I fucking love it. I love going into a match. Like, who knows what's going to happen this weekend between the Panthers and Storm. I think the Storm will probably win, but who friggin' knows? Yeah, it's it's going to be hard, hard to gauge. Mm. Um, I don't think you're going to see much in the way of point scoring going on because both sides are defending pretty bloody awesomely at the moment. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Be a very good game though. Definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a lot of very good games this weekend. Um, it's the 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 league is very unpredictable at the moment. Like I I think that it's evened up a lot even after the first month and a half of footy. I think that some of the really bad teams have got better, except the Warriors. They've probably got worse, but. Um, and well, Newcastle hasn't really got better either. Yeah, Newcastle's got diabolical. I can't believe they haven't sacked O'Brien yet. But um, you know, the West Tigers—they're putting in. Uh, the Dragons are not an easy beat. Like the the Cowboys, look at them. Look how high up the ladder they are. Yeah. Uh, it, there's there's not many easy games in the NRL at the moment, and it's it's fucking awesome. It really is. 
I fully agree. It's yeah, absolutely brilliant to see. Um, should we move on to the not quite rugby league matter that happened during the week on two GB or whatever the hell it was? Triple M. Triple M. I yeah. don't listen to the radio, obviously. Um, can I just say, pro- can, yeah. can I say something? To me, Triple M. I I I don't listen to the footy on the radio. But I would listen to Triple M's coverage after State of Origin games when they would have Dan Ganane, Wendell Saylor, Ryan Girdler and the like on after a game. And I loved it. They were so good at covering post-Origin. Um, they would take the the uh, coaches' uh, press conferences and all that, talk about the game. It was really good. So to me, that's what Triple M Rugby League's coverage is. So to to see all of this shit that's going on, it, it's fucking shocking to me because I that to me is not what I thought it was, you know. Yeah, look, I see this as more of a reflection of the talent that they've got on there involved in this incident more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a program that they've got that has James Hooper, Paul Kent, and formerly Anthony Maroon on there. Yeah. Um, and that apparently they've had this running gag for a long time about anything we're not paying tax some fucking 300 years ago. Ha ha, funny. Um, and it, it got out of hand and Maroon walked off during, mm-hmm. during the live show was it a week or two ago mm-hmm. when he told them that he's had enough of it all and he's not going to take the shit anymore and he's complained about it and they just sit there and laughed at him and thought it was all a big joke. Mm-hmm. Um, Hooper gave a piss-weak apology where he said, oh, we just thought it was a joke, and if he didn't see it that way, then, you know... And he goes, as soon as you say that, you're being fucking stupid because that's essentially what bullying is. is that it might be a joke to you, but if someone's not happy with it and you keep ignoring them and they keep saying stop, yeah. then that's obviously bullying. Yeah. Now... Obviously, Paul Kent saw this, saw this purely as an opportunity to continue getting cheap content because mm-hmm. that's all he's ever looking for is cheap, easy content. He goes after the low-hanging fruit as far as content's concerned. Um, sometimes he's good. Cases like this, um, let's be honest, he's had a massive fuck-up. So this is I'll, – I'll read part of the article you wrote today. Um, he says – Almost all commentary around this drama has been of bullying and how we did not let up. The only surprise at the time was that it took so long before Maroon did walk out. Since then, though, the mental health warriors have framed it as a simple case of bullying to just hold is really just a media pile on. We exposed the flank and they attacked. Isn't it funny that uh, he's complaining about a media pile on? <laughs> And then he goes, and this is where he goes a bit stupid. We, with the pile on for Hooper, both in social and mainstream media, is tenfold to what Maroon copped. Yet none of these mental health warriors have considered that, instead taking comfort in being part of the righteous majority. You can't say it's tenfold when you you ran this stupid joke that's not funny for years. Yeah. And social media's only been going after them for a week. Yeah. And furthermore, Hooper's got quite a lot of form before him. Yeah. Um, 
let's not forget the bloody the amount of absolute gutter level bullshit he went through over Latrell Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And that was all smear campaign. The Oh, the, the amount of stories he's got against him where he's, just, he's basically running agendas like crazy with no substance behind it whatsoever are mm-hmm. uh, numerous to the point where even he sort of started to realise that, you know, people don't like him too much anymore. So if he's got one that's a bit dodgy, he'll put staff writers on instead of his own name because he's a spineless fuck. Um and obviously the only time he'll bully anyone is if he's got one of his mates that help him do it because he's a gutless piece of shit. <laughs> Pile on. Um, this is the problem that people have with James Hooper. They don't see him as an intelligent or insightful or knowledgeable commentator. He's a loudmouth, boorish, ignorant, loud, stupid fucking git. He provides zero, zero in the way of intellectual commentary of any nature about the game whatsoever. It's all smear, rumours, bullshit, horseshit, and this crap. I just he, he provides zero value. I don't know why he's got so many fucking gigs in the game. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why if you've got four microphones, two of them are in the front of journalists. I don't care what journalists think, and especially rugby league journalists, you know, I'd, I'd rather listen to somebody that is knowledgeable about the game. And, you know, the, the, the journalists, a lot of them have proven they're not. Um, but the thing that gets me, and I don't listen to the uh, NRL coverage at that time when these people are all on, and I didn't know about the situation. I've kind of read about it and stuff like that. The thing that I find shocking is that you would do this over so many years and the person that you're doing it to is literally on air saying, I don't like it, stop, and you keep doing it to the point where they walk off. And then when they do walk off, you write something so fucking full on in an article for your employer. Yeah. And I can't imagine doing that to someone. Like, like how how many years have you and me known one another now properly? Like like talking like this. What's it been like? Three something like that. Yeah, three or four now. Yeah, something like that. It, not there is no fucking amount of money in the world that someone could pay me to publicly say something cross against you. I I, I tell them to go get fucked, you know, and I I can't imagine having a working relationship with somebody that apparently is like 10 plus years yeah. and get to the point where you would, you would see that someone is so fucking upset by what you're saying. And your response is that article that to me is like, I, I'm just, my brain isn't built like that. I, it doesn't compute with me. I don't understand it. Yeah. It's, and I think a lot of people are like that. That's why the reaction is so visceral from them because they look at it and they're like, what the fuck is this? The fact that they knew that upset him. They kept pressing the button. And then when he stormed off, they fucking giggled. Yeah. And just thought it was all just a joke. Like, oh, we're just having fun. Um, and this is, see, I don't believe that this is 
what Kent genuinely thinks. But Kent has always done what is in best interest for his pocket. And that is whatever gets him fucking paid. Yeah. So he he will very often, and this is not always a bad thing, play devil's advocate purely for a conversation piece because a lot of the people, especially in the Daily Telegraph, are all just repeating each other. Paul yeah. Crawley, for example. So Kent will often play devil's advocate, even if he doesn't agree with it, purely just to create a different perspective because he knows it'll get him printed and, you know, keeps him relevant, I guess, because that's what not a lot of these mainstream journos want is just be relevant. Um, but that's not always the bad thing. And it's probably a reason why he's been a little bit divisive. People sometimes have this love-hate relationship with him because of that, because sometimes he'll say something that ticks all the boxes that a lot of the fans agree with, and then other times he'll be barking up the wrong tree. Um, in this case, he's, yeah. I don't think he needed to do this shit. No, this, it, this is vindictive and nasty, and uh, I know he doesn't give a fuck what other people think, but uh, it's just nasty and unnecessary. Just he, he didn't. He, he could have just stayed quiet. He could have just said, you know, someone said to him, "When are you going to apologize?" He says, "You know what? I don't feel I need to." And he could have just left it at that, and that would have been bad enough. But he could have just been left at that. This is. He's obviously decided that it's no longer a joke himself, but now he's going to use it as an opportunity to now attack someone yeah. and get nasty and personal about it. And that's that's next level sick, that is. I think it's I, it's... I don't understand how a human can do that to someone. As you said, like they've, they've worked with him for over a decade. I don't, I don't know how you could do that to someone like that. No, and, and the other thing is, like, it shows where a lot of the corporate rugby league journalism is at at the moment in that, like, it's not so much journalism as it is just having a, a platform to just spew on, you know? Like, when was the last time you saw somebody that had a piece in the corporate press where they actually said, you know what, uh, like, for instance, um, if you said like, if if you had an article that was like, I think Ricky Stewart's a good coach, but I don't think he's good at recruitment, and here's my opinion as to why, it won't be that. You don't get that article. You get, no. oh, Ricky Stewart's critics are all stupid, you know. And, yeah. and that's, and I was thinking about this on the weekend. Like, remember they had this big thing about they wanted. Uh, the NRL to shut down its digital arm and stop creating content. Mm-hmm. And the NRL obliged. They were getting paid a lot of money to do so. And what have we got from those same media outlets? It just has been just this shit. crap, just garbage. And they yeah. promote NRL 360 like it's some, you know, bastion of fucking rugby league entertainment. And it's like, it's the worst shit. It's like the what, shit. The other thing that's been really bad this year too, and this is ent- almost entirely from the NRL website itself, is the amount of positive PR they have been trying to do for Jack DeBellin. Just oh, fucking what, stop. Just, yes, stop. Like, who the fuck is sitting around saying, you know what, I wonder how Jack DeBellin's feeling today. Like, yes. no one is. Two pins, 
two pieces about how he's feeling, one piece about, you know, what's it like missing out on origin, another piece about what my grandpa did. And I, the one where he spoke about his grandfather, and I know it's probably been copied and pasted before, but the thing is, his grandfather, Fred DeBellin, was a great fucking human. And he went to war during his, his um, you know, absolute peak days playing rugby league. He went and served for this country. Don't don't use his fucking legacy and what he gave to this country and what he did. Not just I don't want to talk about rugby league. This is a higher fucking plane altogether. Don't take his legacy to push his prick's fucking barrow. Try and bring his PR level up after what he's done to his career. And I'm saying allegedly because it's not just what happened in the court cases he's done. You know, there's other things he's been involved in, which has been in the media as well. Um, this Jack DeBellin hasn't exactly got a uh, a crystal clear record or anything like that. He's got a tarnished reputation. I'm not saying he's guilty of anything. He's also been proven to be found not guilty of anything as well. That needs to be remembered. Um, the thing is, Andrew, right? Just say you go through something like that and you are, you didn't do it, right? And you, you're 30 years old and you get back out in the football field by some fucking miracle and you've lost, what, two and a half years of your career, Right? I don't know about you, but I would be like, I'm doing no interviews. I just want to go out and play football. That's all I've wanted to do for the yep. last two and a half years. I don't need anyone thinking of anything about me, except I've got a number 13 on my back and I'm out there playing footy because I know there's going to be a whole load of shit about me anyway, which I just don't even want to read. Right. Yeah. Head down, bum up. Yeah, and if my manager comes to me and says, hey, we've got a uh, a whole campaign here we're going to run for you, I say, you're fired. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. Like, I just want to be left alone to play footy. Now, they get people that will say to them all the right things. Can't just say nothing. Okay, yeah, people will write what they want to write anyway. You know, we've got these fucking journalists. They've said if you don't talk to them, they're just going to write something else. You might as well give them positive quotes because they're going to write something and that's how it works. But, you know, people see it and they go into outrage mode and I understand why. But, and so I don't get it. I don't get that either. It's The recent one too that was stupid was... They do it with all of them. I know. And look, the worst thing was the, the most recent one was last week where he said when he first became an NRL player, you know, as a teenager, or I don't think he was a teenager, but he signed his first contract with the Dragons as a teenager, he had to write on there, you know, your eligibility criteria. Mm. And that was when he realised that, you know, he was then eligible to represent Papua New Guinea because his grandmother was born over there. So he's written that down on there. Um, and Adrian Lamb was his lower grades coach. He's saying, I oh, should come play for PNG, you know, you We'd get you in there straight away. It wouldn't be an issue. You know, you're good enough for this sort of stuff, which he would have been. Um, but he said at the time that he doesn't think it's right that he should walk into that team given that he hadn't even been to Papua New Guinea, basically. So, you know, it's not right, which, again, is the right attitude. Mm-hmm. But now he's saying, oh, if they approach me now and they want me to play it, yeah, I'll play for them. Like, oh, yeah, it's just like, yeah, fuck everyone for Papua New Guinea. Now I want to play for you. It's like... Yeah, and look, you know what? And and I go back to because when it 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 goes to court, and I've said on this podcast a million times, I have to abide by what happens in the court because I wasn't there, man. Right? And I'll say this: if he 
didn't do what he was accused of doing, right? I can see, and he lost two and a half years of his career. I can see where you would get to a point and you'd say, man, I will now take everything I can at this point. All right. I get that. But you don't need to say it publicly, dude. Yeah. Like, just get picked. Just all of a sudden get picked, you know? There you go. Yeah. And just go, oh, what a surprise. Okay. Isn't that nice? I will yeah. take that jersey and I will still shut the fuck up. Exactly right. Yeah. But the, I think to the, the volume of articles that have come out this year about him, it feels so forced to all the fans mm-hmm. that it's, it's turning them both against the NRL website, um, the other mainstream media that's doing it, and the Bell on himself. Yes. Um, and that's not even whether, you know, whether they believe he's innocent or guilty of the crime he went to court over. You know, it's just, it's almost like saying, you know, can we just stop with this one bloke being constantly rammed down our throats all the fucking time? Just, just fucking ease up. But yeah, the fact I, that someone who's divisive and he's got a bit of a tarnished reputation um, just makes it so much worse. It'd be, it's kind of like if they came out and they went, you know what, let's start just pushing a whole lot of Matt Lodge articles. Which at one point they started to. and I mm. think it was, But they, like, they've done it for so long now. Like, I've always found it weird that there are players that have got the spotlight put on them. Like, remember when Matt Lodge first come back into the NRL and immediately it was like, you know what? He could play Origin. And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck? He hasn't even played footy yet again. Like, I know. And, and I, I just don't understand it. And I don't know what's behind it. Now, if there was a media person that sat down and said, you know what? We, we wrote about this player and what they went through for a couple of years and the metrics say every time they're mentioned, we get this sort of rating on the articles. And we our metrics show us that if we put out all of this bullshit, the metrics are still the same and we make money on it. I would say, you know what? Okay, if people are reading it, that's why you do it. But I don't well, know right. if people are reading it. No. I think what it, a lot of it comes down to is, um, of course, naturally, the media likes... Um, a redemption story. They also like, you know, smear, smears and shit like that as well. But if they can, if they can manufacture a redemption story, they like that as well. So every time there's someone who's done something bad, guaranteed there'll be an article about how they changed their lives and turned things around and they're doing this and they're doing all that good and all that stuff. Um, there's one stupid fucking prick who keeps writing articles about Craig Field throughout most of his career. Um, He's a classic example of it. Oh, Craig Fields, you know, really apologetic for taking the drugs he took when he was playing for the Tigers and got suspended and stuff, and he's, you know, vowing to come clean and make it up to the club, blah, 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 all that sort of rubbish. And then, you know, he come out of jail recently, and all of a sudden there's all this positive press about how much he wants to help. You know, he's just fucking hell. <laughs> just no. You've got you to pick your targets. You, go, you know what? A redemption story for someone who's been a bit of a loose cannon on the field because they, you know, they sail a bit close to the wind and they're a bit over the top aggressive or something like that, but they've decided to clean up their act a bit and knuckle down and play good quality footy and, and you know, that's a good redemption story. Mm-hmm. 
people have been, you know, involved in, you know, alleged criminal behaviour. Uh, just give it a fucking wide berth, yeah? It just Because yeah. even if they're found guilty, you're still dragging the criminal, the whole criminal stuff in there, and you're attaching the NRL with criminal behaviour. Even if it's found not guilty, you're still linking them to some sort of criminal activity, and it's it's negative PR for the game for that person, even if they're found innocent. It's still attaching a negative connotation to them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... Because, uh, I mean, classic example I think of, Brett Stewart. Yes. Right? No one... Rem- yeah, well, I wouldn't say no one. A lot of people don't don't recall Brett Stewart for what the great stuff he did on the field anymore. I think about that horrible story that went on and how for a long time he was... And then when the story came out and everything was revealed and he was found to be innocent, it didn't change the perception because it had been linked for so long. The negative perceptions hold longer than the positive ones do. Mm-hmm. That's the horrible thing about it all. Uh, it's the, the, That's the problem with the media. They, they try and create redemption stories at the wrong times and they're very quick to smear anytime they can, alternative from that. It's almost hypocrisy. Yeah, it, it's, it, 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 I don't know. It, it's something that when I see it, and I think a lot of people are the same, they sort of, they go, what the hell is this? And it doesn't sit right with them and it gets a reaction. And I think that, I mean, they, there must be a, a way that the, corporate media has found to monetize that reaction and i think about the the paul kent article that was posted on social media today they turned off replies on that article because <laughs> they knew what it would turn into now that article was retweeted quote tweeted many 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 times now if you're looking at their social media side of the their their feed that that uh corporation you would look at that as, wow, look at the reach we got, right? Yeah. And that's a positive. That's a positive for their business. I actually heard, uh, oh, well, I read Elon Musk during the week said that he might start um, charging a small fee for companies that use Twitter and and it as a commercial thing. And that was interesting because it will mean that, you know, if, if – say a, a corporate media organization is using Twitter, they will have to pay for it to get that reach, which I think is fair enough. And, so, you know, these, these big corporations and, and they've had a free ride on Twitter. Um, but I would also guess that it could also end up being that there are regulations to those posts if you're having to pay for them. Now, Freedom of speech has been a very big part of what Elon Musk is aiming for. So I don't think that he would want to restrict any organisation or corporation in that sense. But it's just interesting to think how a a corporate media organisation might change the way that they post things um, if they do have to pay for that reach. Or is it going to get worse? It might get worse. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be good if the whole clickbait stuff sort of died down a fair bit. It's getting a bit out of control, to be honest. Yeah, I'm surprised people 
go for it. Like I, I stopped with the clickbait a long time ago. Um, and, and the, these articles that they would do where it was like, Oh, a journalist said this on the TV show and then I'm going to respond to the journal. It's like, I don't care what the fucking journalists talk about. Like I want news. I don't want to hear what some fucking idiot had to say to some other fucking idiot on a panel show. <laughs> like I, saw somebody, right. I saw somebody post a video of on Twitter of uh, Rothfield and uh, one of the Hughes, Graham Hughes, I think it was, having a, a Barney on NRL 3. Oh, it was Controversy Corner. Remember they brought that back for five minutes on Fox Sports? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were having a fucking argument. And I'm like, who the fuck would want to watch two old men arguing about some shit that doesn't matter to anybody except these two old men. (laughs) (laughs) There's a million other things. I'd rather watch the Batman for the 15th time. That's a great movie. Anyone that hasn't seen the Batman, I highly recommend it, but it's way better than controversy corner and listening to anything that Phil Rothfield or Graham Hughes has to say about themselves. (laughs) Good point. Now, um, (laughs) Should we just check a few emails? What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let me fire up the the email uh, capturing machine because I shut it down by accident. Got a little bicycle. Getting there, yeah. Got the the hamster is running. The hamster's running. Uh, Let me see. Spam. Uh, What's this shit? No, that's spam. That's spam. Okay, here's one. From, uh, here's one from Chris, okay? He says, it should NRL plays be considered for knighthood? This is a fucking random one already. <laughs> I believe there has never been an Australian rugby league figure who has been considered for knighthood. I would think Cameron Smith would be deserving of such an honour, the way he carries himself, his class, dignity, and what he's done for the game in Victoria, for Queensland and for his country. Should NRL plays be considered... If so, who else should be? Congratulations on 400. Thank you for that, Chris. That's a good question. I, would have thought, I thought knighthood was for like long years of service, 40 years service or something like that. Ah. So you need someone who's been involved in the game for a long time. So the first night's probably going to be Phil Gould. <laughs> Sir Gus. Don't fucking say that. <laughs> Don't say that. Um... What else could you have? It wasn't the last knighthood that Australia handed out to uh, uh, Prince Philip. Yeah, yeah, it was a brilliant call, right? Yeah, that was a good one. That was a f- people were like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a genius move. Um, knighthood. Let's see, there's not a there's not a huge amount of people involved in the game who are quite like, influential. That is, yeah. That have had a very long career. Maybe Wayne Bennett. Oh, he played in the seventies. Yeah, give him fifty years service. Yep. And at the elite level. Um. So, Sir Wayne. Sir Wayne. It can't look. To be honest, it can't be based on years service because I know that um, every second tennis player gets a in, in England gets a knighthood. That's a good and point. They make Lewis, their... Hamil- Lewis Hamilton got knighted two years ago. Yeah, he's I... not even he's not even forty. See, I 
I personally hate all of those things with a passion, all those knighthoods and stuff like that. I, I think it's cool when people get recognised for their work in the community and stuff like that. But when you uh, when you kick a ball in the right way and then they call you a knight or you hit a tennis ball and you make a final and they call you a knight. Like, remember there was that – there was an English cricket team where they all got these fucking honours given to them for winning the Ashes series. And it's like, we'd won the previous like fucking 27 Ashes. <laughs> and it's like, yes. what the fuck is going on? Um, Actually, didn't think about it. Johnny Raper, because I think he's now involved with Men of League. He was. Um, someone like that who had charity as well as, you know, at what the about- official level. What about Bomb Appeared? He'd be another one. Like, uh, Arthur Beetson would have been another one. Oh, yeah, Beetson would have been for sure. Um, who else? Wally Lewis? Yeah, I guess Wally Lewis too, yeah. I mean... Sir Wally. Sir Wally, how cool would that be? That'd be <laughs> really cool. Um... Well, although would he would he cop the uh, demotion from the king from being a king to a sir? Well, he's already been demoted because Gutho's the king now. Yeah, according to Gutho. <laughs> Don't get me started on that shit. <laughs> you can't just call yourself a king. Yeah, um, you've got to earn that fucking shit. Exactly, like I have. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, it depends. There's not many people that you could say that about, hey. Nah, I'd, I'd be thinking players from that, those Dragons teams in the 50s and 60s. Well, that's what I was thinking, like Norm Proven. But Norm Proven wasn't involved in the game after a certain amount of time. And, you know, it's fair enough. He was an old man, you know. But, um, yeah, yeah I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the knighthoods and all that anyway. No, no nor I. Yeah. All right. So let's have a look at the next one. Uh, that's not one. That's not one. That's not one. That one's from you. Uh, okay, so here's one from Mike. This was sent on the 24, 26th of the 4th. So it's going back a little bit. His subject, Nathan Brown. So he was ahead of the curve. G'day, boys. So after the Warriors were defeated 70-10 to 10 by Melbourne, it did remind me of the time St. George Illawarra were also defeated 70-10 to 10 by Melbourne in 2000. Nathan Brown played in one of those games and coached the other, a total mm-hmm. losing margin for the two games of 120 points. <laughs> <laughs> Can we think of any other player-turned-coach in top-flight rugby league with a higher aggregate of their biggest loss as a player and coach, 120 will take some beating. You'd yeah, have I, don't, to, I don't think it's possible. No, it'd have to be someone involved in that, that so loss. Who's, who's coaching the Bulldogs in 35? Yeah, that's where I was going. That's about all we can work off, to be honest. And hopefully it was a captain coach. <laughs> Ted Courtney is his only season as a coach. Wow. Poor bastard. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> um, let's see. Where's his playing career? Who did he play for? 
Well, we played for West during some of their poor seasons. Yeah. He played for Norse in 1910. I know they got digged by South in one game. Was he there for that one? No, he missed that game. Um, wasn't too many heavy losses in those early seasons. So he probably didn't have too big. We're not looking for too much because he had 85 already racked up for his worst loss as a coach. Yeah. What do we need? 120. So a 35-point loss as a player. That should be doable. Uh, Let's see. 41 to 9 he lost against these. There you go. Job done. Yeah. What's his name? Tanner Tanner Brown? Uh, Ed Courtney. His name was Ted Courtney. Oh, okay. So you did it. That was quick. That's why you're a rugby league historian and statistician. There you go. Top of the tree. He also lost. Oh, actually, there's another one there. Oh, no, that was a win, 42-3. There you go. Yeah, he he did it. That was was a really good question, Mike. Thanks for that one. Um, Let's see. Let's keep going down the list. As I said, so many damn spam. Um, You should be reading them out. Hey, you really should be reading them out. That can, that's what we can do in our 500th episode is just read out all the spam emails and try and turn them into rugby league related ones. I don't know if we read this one out. It's from the 18th of the 4th. Ooh. Honestly, Andrew, what are you doing? Um, it's from Lightning McQueen, Ben. His subject, subject is Easter Monday. Remember, Easter is always a nice time of the year. He says, mm-hmm. g'day, g'day, cunts. On the way home... From the Eels versus Tigers game today. First things first, the stadium is amazing. What an incredible place to watch rugby league. It was actually a lot easier to get in and out of than I remember too. I'll definitely be back for a game or two later in the year, which means he's probably been to a game or two. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, next, credit to the Tigers. They played with heart today and thoroughly deserved the result. Even Mute Brooks was seen out. <laughs> That's great, Mute Brooks. They're a different team with Hastings at the helm. In one game back, he made Mute Brooks look very average as a lone playmaker. What do you think of putting Mute Brooks at nine, Hastings at seven, Dewey at six, and Laurie at one? That is the only sensible option if they're going to preserve, if they're going to persevere, sorry, with Mute Brooks, I reckon. Otherwise, fuck him off. Uh, lastly, it was a classic Parramatta Eels performance today. 75th year in the comp, all the club legends in attendance, packed house, and the queue didn't even come out of the fucking rack today. <laughs> the thought they, they thought they'd walk over the top of the Tigers and aim up for the Cowboys next week in the Northern Territory. Well-deserved win for Wests. Well-deserved loss for the Eels. On to next week. Fuck Manly, Lightning, McQueen, Ben. I I agree with him. I don't think that the Eels will win another game after that one. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely lose to the Cowboys. Yeah. I feel like the Cowboys will smash them in the Northern oh, They've got history of doing that too in Darwin. So, you know, it's, I'd lock that in. Um, can, as can we I just talk about that? the... Yeah. I, can I just say Panthers game? I reckon they're a smoky chance in that one. Nah, you're kidding. There's no chance. Something about it. I just think it's a smoky chance. Crazy talk. 
Um, <laughs> look, he's talk about the tiger spine. I think I mentioned that in an episode not too long yeah. ago. Um, yeah. I've already seen signs that Maguire's already starting to, to tinker with that concept of, of Brooks at nine. Um, there's a lot less for him to organise there. Mm-hmm. It's basically just getting the forwards, getting a bit of a roll on. He mm-hmm. is pretty sharp um, off the mark speed-wise. Um, so he won't be too bad if he's ever got to do a dummy half run. He's short, so low to the ground. So if he's ever got to charge over from dummy half, bit of an advantage there. Um, he does have a good passing and kicking game, obviously. So that's going to help as well. Um, yeah, the, you know, the problem has never been skills with Brooks. He's never had an issue with skills. It's always been the fact that he can't control anything and he can't run a play. Yeah. And that's been adamantly clear. No one sat there and said he is not skillful enough to be in the NRL. That's never been a criticism, and rightfully so. He's definitely got all that. I mean, you can all see it. Um, just hasn't been utilised properly uh, or been coached to t- be much of a talker. I don't know if that's... I don't, I don't know if it's a skill that can be coached easily, is how to be a talker on the field. You've either got that knack or you don't. Um, so yeah, I think, I think long-term they're going to have to put Dewey at six. Yeah. Um, that way Hastings can play sort of more left. He, he seems to prefer being on the left-hand side. Um, and Dewey's a lot more comfortable on the right-hand side. Uh, that would fix up a lot of the playmaking on both sides of the field. Hastings is trying to play right side at the moment because Brooks also prefers the left. Um, and he's not doing too bad out there, Hastings, but you just see his tendency is always to go left anyway. Yeah. So the Tigers attack, he's going very left side heavy at the moment. Um, and they try and counter it by kicking to the right a lot. But it is a little bit one-dimensional in that sense. Um, so, yeah, Dewey at six would, would sort of equalise their attacking options, I guess. And then you have Brooks could go through the middle, Either way, it wouldn't be too much of an issue there for him. So it's it's attack-wise, it makes sense. Brooks has a decent enough tackling technique, but his lack of size will make him an absolute massive target for these big forwards. They're going to run at him all day. Yeah. Um, I, that's another thing. I mean, you can't make a bloke, you know, four inches taller. Yeah, that's so true. I, I don't know if that's something they can fix or not. Um, Beat him heaps of Viagra. Well, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> okay, next next email. Right. Mm-hmm. Tom sent it in. He sent it in on 16th of the 4th. Uh, subject, refs can't keep up. He says, hello, boys, and happy Easter long weekend. Hope you're not eating too many eggs. Freaky, well done on your Panthers' performance against my Broncos. Thank you very much, Tom. Um, I wish my team had some of their fitness and cohesion. My Broncos seem to fall apart as soon as anything goes against them. Oh, well. Wanted to get both of your opinions on two issues in the game. Number one, in my opinion, one referee cannot keep up with the speed of the play. In Friday's match, many forward passes missed and inconsistent six-again restart calls. The NRL do not even report set restarts as a statistic on their website. This seems to be an attempt to avoid scrutiny. 
And then number two, he says, thoughts on PBL's talk of fast-tracking NRLW and bringing in 16 teams to run as a curtain raiser before the NRL. Why does every club need an NRLW team? Is it just PR? Having so many Sydney clubs doesn't seem necessary. Thanks for your great work and sorry for the long email, Tom. Tom, that wasn't a long email. We've had some long ones. We have indeed. I think it's Patrick that sends us ones that are fucking incredible. Yes. Yes. Um, They do... I will defend the NRL website there. They do have um, the set restarts stat on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the team stats section. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it's listed as something. It's not listed as set restarts. I think it's listed as ruck infringements. Oh, okay. But it is in there. Okay. Um, it's it's something like that. You know, it's it's got a different name on it. Um, but yeah, it is in there. Um, you'll probably find too that it's not as there doesn't seem to be as many listed there as what you actually see in the game. Like you might see six set restarts in the game, but the ruck infringements that might come up as being, you know, one, two or something like that. You know, only three of them have been named. So who knows? But that's my understanding was that that, that's what the set restart stat was coming up in was ruck infringements. Okay. Um, But that's there. Um, his comment about the refs not being able to keep up, I fully agree, which is a large reason why we had two refs in the first place. So one would check the ruck and the other one could check onside forward passes. And, yeah, I'll go to him and say it worked. Yeah, worked great. Mm. That's why we changed it. And, like, I agree with both of his points about the ref. Need two refs again. And the NRLW, like, yeah, I agree. Having just plotting down 16 teams is a silly idea. I think you've got a chance to fix some of the wrongs that we've had in the game, especially in how many Sydney clubs we've got. And I don't know why you would double up on the problems yeah, you, that you have. You no don't sense. need all those Sydney clubs. You, you don't even need all those Queensland teams. You just need you need to hit your key markets. Yep. You know, three, four teams in Sydney, you know, East, South, West, Central, something like that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no teams in the north that are worth worrying about. <laughs> I didn't say that. Hi, Manly. How's that? How's that? How's that? Uh, jumpy going in your fucking grandstand? Yeah, in the northeast corner. Yeah. So much for that fucking curse. They still won on the weekend. True. Um, <laughs> the curse was that the Tigers turned up to play the game. Yeah. <laughs> they, they counted the curse and turned it into an omen. <laughs> they have that knack. Um, but, you know, you, you, you pick like our post there. You have a team in Brisbane, possibly one in North Queensland, um, if there's enough call for it there. You get one in WA. You get one in Melbourne. And then you start looking elsewhere. Also, one in New Zealand. Then you start looking elsewhere. Try and get a team in PNG. Try and get a team in, you know, Fiji or Tonga. And be expansive. Don't try and be all, let's just have every team must have a, a women's team. Because yeah. that is narrow-minded and stupid. Yeah, and boring. Fucking yeah. And, boring. I mean, look, let's be honest. It's trademark PVL as well. Yeah, very PVL. Um, the last email we've got, you'll love this one. It's from Mike. And the subject is Alan Whitaker. 
And away says, we go. Yes. He says, G'day, boys. I wanted to know if Fergo or Freaky have ever crossed paths with the author Alan Whitaker. Yes, from, I have. For an author who has been so prolific in writing about rugby league and rugby league players, he isn't so well known outside of that medium. Is he on your list of future podcast guests? Love your work, MJ. I'd love to get him on. Um, he's a Panthers fan. Oh, there you go. Um, One of his books proves that too. Yeah. he's He has written stuff that's not rugby league related. I think he had a big collection on Don Bradman. Oh, really? Um, and he's done a few books on true crimes in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one book was about uh, – I know he's done two. One was about, I think, was it the Beaumont children in South Australia that went missing? I think that's him, yeah. And some work he did helped to uncover possible new clues from memory, and there was a big thing on the mainstream media about it. I think he was on Channel 7 or something about it. Mm. Um, I think another one was on um, – Young nurse who got killed in Sydney. Anita Cobby? Yeah, that's the one. I think he wrote an article, a book about her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, and I think it seems to be something he's very passionate about doing. His last few rugby league books have been not so much new content, but more um, reference type books. Yeah. So, um, he worked with Ian Collis, who was doing a lot of the stats at Fox Sports. He, he re- retired a few years ago from doing that, but he was their head stats guy there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they released the most recent version of the um, Rugby League Players uh, Encyclopedia. I love that book. Oh. Which, um, the great people at Rugby League Project helped do a little bit of uh, assistance on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one he had was a book on every single scoreline in the New South Wales Rugby League Premiership history, mm-hmm. um, which the great people at Rugby League Project also may have helped with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan also was the guy who contacted me about my book, and he oh, really? helped to get that published. Yeah, he came to me and says, I really want you to do this book, and gave me a ridiculously short window to do it, and obviously smashed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's. Um, I, I met him at a... Function. I'm going to sound like a fucking big note myself here now. Uh, it was a function that the NRL hosted when they no, started looking at big function. You big shot. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I before rugby league week got wound up. Yeah. The NRL were looking at um, purchasing the Immortals concept from them and um, installing some new people into the the Immortals system. Um, and so they invited, the inner invited a bunch of, um, former players, commentators, journos, and one dickhead, um, to be there to help in that process. Yeah. Um, so I got to be the dickhead. That was pretty good. So I'm there with all these absolute fucking big wisdoms and look, looking around going, man, I am so out of place here. <laughs> Everyone else has got a job in rugby league, and I'm just doing a bit of research on a website, um, and not getting paid a cent for it. You know, I don't belong with this. I don't know why I'm in here, but there you go. Um, and I met Alan there, and uh, yeah, we had a chat. 
He gave me books that he wrote about some, about a boxer. I think actually it might have been a book about Joe Bugner. One thing I would love to hear is an interview between you two, like not me there, just you and Alan Whitaker, just talking about the processes of putting together the, your books and even how you met and like the future of writing in rugby league. Um, I think that would be fantastic. And it'd sort of like be like different generations of rugby league historians talking to one another. Would you be up for doing that? Yeah, I think the thing we'll find though is that I I wouldn't be offering much insight to that. I'd just be asking Alan about it because um, when I did the book, I was basically asked just to provide a bunch of the content mm-hmm. and um, he like provided the whole outline of how it was supposed to look and the structure of it and um, someone else put together the pictures for it. They organised the the coloured plates in and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I looked at it, I went, well, I sent you a Word document yeah, with just text in it and mm-hmm. you turned it into this magnificent fucking book. Mm. What sort of wizardry did you produce to make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it still blows me when I look at it and go, I can't believe like I'm involved in this process. I feel like when I look at it that my involvement was about, you know, if I'm... If I over-exaggerate, I'd say about 15% of the work. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Um, yeah, I'd love to have a chat with him on there. It would be very cool to hear that chat. Um, mm. He's yeah. been one of those quiet rugby league historians. He does an awful lot of rugby league historian work. But you don't really hear too much of him in the mainstream media going on about it, yeah. which is very respectable. Yeah, there's something about that. It's... Mm. Uh, it's that it's really cool when you yeah see that and like, I mean if you if you have read about rugby league history, chances are you read one of his books. You know, oh, like, absolutely, and he's run up, written tons of them. I think he had a book on the history of oh history of Bowmane Tigers might have been one of his earlier ones, mm-hmm. and that was in the eighties. Um, yeah, all the player encyclopedias he did all of those. He's obviously had a few books on the centenary of rugby league. There's one he had out on the rugby league in the 70s called mm-hmm. Blood, Sweat and Beers, mm-hmm. I think. Um, man, it's too many to mention. I've got a heap of me. Yeah. Yeah, I've got yeah. like the uh, rugby league grand finals. Yep, that's another good one. Yeah, I love that book. Um, quite a few. I think he's done a bunch of autobiographies as well mm-hmm. for players. Um yeah, he's done a lot of books. Um, very knowledgeable. Um, very passionate about the game, especially from the, the 70s and 80s. Uh, Ian Collis is another one too. He's um, really, really like knowledgeable in the game. And he, I think he too might also be a Panthers fan. Well, I mean, Panthers fans are the most knowledgeable fans in the game, I find. Best looking as well. Um, Hear that sound? That's me not arguing. You know, the thing is, Andrew, sometimes we get unfairly pigeonholed for just being a bunch of supporters with oversized genitals. <laughs> <laughs> I got, got to use it. <laughs> I was going to wait till tomorrow, but there you go. You beat me to it. I beat you to it. <laughs> See? Timing is everything. Uh. 
Lovely. Brilliant. I should have seen that coming. Yeah, that's, that's what, what she, she said. That's uh, <laughs> a coffee. It's a coffee. It's a coffee. Um, well, yeah, that was all good. Yeah, look, this has been a great episode once again, 401. Um, yeah. I was thinking for 420, would you like to do shitloads of marijuana? Not again. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, 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 it's not my sort of thing, but I thought, what if I just put it to Andrew that he just gets like the first day he ever tries it. He's just like, I'm gonna just smoke it out. Yeah. So, uh, the reason why that's a bit, little bit funny, I guess, is the fact that I am possibly the most dullest straight-laced human there is out there. Because I've, you're not... I've never, I've never consumed alcohol. Mm. And uh, obviously, I haven't done any sort of recreational drugs or anything like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm pretty dull. No, I, I, get, I get high on rugby league stats. I, I'm not a drugs person either. I've never done any drugs. and like, uh, But I, I will have a drink. But it's yeah. very rare. I'll get tanked a few times a year. But it's recreational tanking. You, you can tell when, when um, Ricky's drunk too. I won't tell you how. <laughs> you can just figure it out. But I, I can tell what he's drunk when, I, when I'm reading some of his stuff on Twitter. I go, ah, someone's having a few. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm going to have to ask you what the signs are now because I don't know what they are. <laughs> I've twice I've asked you if you were drinking when I've seen it. You've gone, oh, I've had a few. And I went, ah. has <laughs> <laughs> been, I know that there's been, over the years, there's been a few nights where I've woken up and been like, oh, I'll check Twitter, feeling super hungover. And I've looked at my, my feed and I've been like, holy shit. <laughs> and gone back through and been like, what did I say? Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. I'll let you know off here. Okay, excellent. I'm going to let anyone else know. I don't want them to find out here. Nah, nah, nah. Although I think it, it, we are overdue for me to have a drink on the podcast. Yeah, we need to do a live episode. We keep saying it. We're gonna, we're gonna just fucking bite the bullet and do it. You know, we got to get Carsten on again. Mmm. Got to sort that out. Yes. We need a game when a French team's playing against an English one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he like he loves France. He 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 loves travelling to France. Oh yeah. Uh, if either, you know, go, just go up through Germany, cross the Hindenburg line. The Hindenburg. I've said enough. <laughs> well, he, he yeah. said that the best way to France, you go through Belgium. <laughs> he said it's it's uh, pretty straightforward if you do it that way. Um, roads are a they, bit... Not much opposition but... from customs there. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, Andrew, if people were to find us, probably for complaints... Uh, where could they find us? Uh, for, for complaints, go to um, at Buzz Rothfield on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, if you want to find us on social media, go to um, Facebook, uh, sorry, Instagram and Twitter at what is it again? Virgo Freak Pod. That's the one. I had like thirty-five different Twitter accounts in my head then. All the burners I've got. For Paul Crawley. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fergo Freak Pub. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, MySpace. So check us out on all of those as well. 
Uh, make sure you go to your podcast listening device and give us a five-star rating and review. Please, someone give us a review. We haven't had one this year. Yeah, that would be nice, you freeloading fucks. One person this year has given us a five-star review. I mean, thanks for that, but still, mm. it's one. One whole review. Thanks a yeah. lot. Five stars. Whoop-dee-fucking-do. Um, come on. Come on, people. Get on there. If anybody wants to get in touch for us to read uh, one of their emails within the next six months, all they have to do is go to your email device and put in this input. You put in podcast at leaguefreak.com. Make the subject something that will stand out, you know, um, and we will read it. Absolutely. And uh, what else is there? Oh, yeah. I'm going to spend the next two or three hours trying to figure out how I can bypass <laughs> um, can Microsoft, Microsoft Office because it's not working for me. Well, if anyone wants to give Andrew a free copy of Microsoft Excel, get in yeah, touch. All I, all I need is Word and Excel, and it can be as old as the hills. I had 2007. It was working fine. Yeah. But... Uh, you you will be contributing to the digitization of rugby league history if you do it. We will give you lots of praise. Uh, I'll also give you, um, you know, in quotation marks, boring stats. I've had a few people criticize, uh, you know, get a, a bit aggressive towards me because I post um, boring stats without them realizing that I do it for a bit of a laugh. Yeah, like um, that's literally the point. Yeah, because you know. The stats that they want are the same stats that everybody else pumps out. Um, so I'm trying to do something that's a little bit different. That's still factual, but probably more meaningless and pointless than than all the other stats are. Purely for the sake that oh, you know, sake that I can just do that because I want to. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting though that the last two times I've done those boring stats, they've actually proven to be um, quite good at predicting the winner. Ah, really? Yeah. So the last one I did on. Uh, Sunday, yep. and I said that the Cronulla Sharks are undefeated on May the 8th, and I listed the four times that they won on May the 8th. Mm-hmm. They won again. There you go. Um, the other one was talking about the, I think it was when the West Tigers played Parramatta, mm-hmm. and I went on some stats there about the West Tigers, and, you know, also on the actual state-specific sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Talked about how Parramatta had been had taken so long to win on that day in the West Tigers that they had quite a good success rate in comparison. Mm-hmm. And they went off at me, calling me boring and trying to tell me how to do stats and all sort of shit. It was all quite amusing, really, to some degree. And then it turned out that, you know, the stats were right anyway. So, you know. Of course well, I'm right. As you say off air, fuck those cunts. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? I put a I put up a tweet uh, at the Panthers game, and I said there there is it was after kick out just knocked on and they'd missed it. It was a really obvious knock on they'd missed it, and I said that there was no evidence of one single um, decision by the referee going the Panthers way in that first half. Obviously sarcastic. I had so many people going. Uh, it's like fucking <laughs> like idiots. <laughs> You fucking morons. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's, how obvious do you have to be? Yeah, it's almost like the, the tweet needs to be highlighted in a different colour so people can know which ones are sarcastic. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's fucking nuts. Anyway, been a good episode. It has been indeed. Yeah. Um, so I suppose we're due to do this again tomorrow for our preview. Yeah, yeah, I'm up for it. I'm ready. Sounds good. I am too. Because, you know, I've, it's almost midnight. I'm about to get up to go to work. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I do. I just, I don't have a, I don't even have a candle that burns at both ends. I've got a candle that's got fucking 15 flames along it. It just burns <laughs> it everywhere. I was going to say to you when you, you said, uh, oh, you said something just before. Oh, it was when you were doing, like, where where you, they could find us on social media, and you're like, ah. And I was going to say, you've got one job, Andrew. And I thought, I was like, no, he's got about 27 of the fucking things yeah. at the moment. Yeah, and I just do them all at once. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I find if I do them all at once, then it saves a bit of time at the end of the day, because, you know, if you do them all concurrently. Yeah. Well, it's like, I'm just surprised that you do it while your arm's going numb and you've got that pressure feeling in your chest. Yeah, you know, it comes and goes. Yeah. Just have another can of energy drink and she's fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, take a Panadol. <laughs> Give it a it's bit a of a... Sprinia. It works again. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a man. I don't need doctors. <laughs> doctors are dumb. Well, what would they know? Exactly. Anyone can get a fucking degree these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except me. <laughs> Anywho. Um, thanks for tuning in, everyone. It's been fantastic having you with us once again. Um, and we'll catch us all next time. Palmer bet with the big don't argue. Punters will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858.